Well, good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to week number five in our series that we kicked off on Mother's Day called Running with the Giants. And this whole series has been about choosing people out of the crowd of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 12, these witnesses of great faith that are encouraging us. And what would it be like if they could actually come out of the crowd and you could they would run with you and they, you could hear them say, hey, don't do this, do this, run like this, avoid this. This, and this whole series uh, from Ezekiel to Mary and Elizabeth um, uh, to today to Joseph last week to today, our very special uh, guest today uh, that I'll be sharing about in just a moment. We can learn so many uh, golden truths for everyday living. And you know, as a pastor, what, what one of my one of my goals uh, is, as a, a teacher of the word is to not just give you a sermon that can last till Sunday afternoon, but give you handlebars for Monday. And so what we're going to be talking about today uh, is handlebars for Monday on everyday life. And as I mentioned already, this whole cloud of witnesses, we get this from uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let me read it to you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Not just a little bit, not just, not just 2%, not just 20%, not just the stuff, you know, that, that, that other people see, but everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us not the race marked out for someone else the the race marked out for you and so when we get into today's message, uh, I know that some of us have ran a race and we've, we've uh, tripped up. We have messed up. Maybe we took a wrong turn. Maybe we uh, 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 regret some stuff. And, and really, that's where we're going to go this, this morning. I want to give you some advice for when you've made a pretty bad decision. And the character that we're going to roll out today uh, has made some pretty bad decisions in his life. And he chose to write about it. And it's part of the 66 books of the Bible. But listen, I know you and I know some people. Anybody? Uh, just put, put a hand up in the, in the air. You know someone that has made a pretty bad decision. Uh, and some of you are pushing your neighbor's hand up because you know what they did, you know, two weeks ago, or you're nudging your spouse. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not marrying your spouse. That's not a bad decision. Uh, but, but what you know somebody. Uh, I was, you don't have to look very far on the internet to uh, see several different people that have made some pretty bad decisions. In fact, I strung together a few pictures of, of some people that have made some kind of poor decisions uh, and we can actually learn a life lesson from them. Uh, the first lesson I would give you is this, life it what you make it. You gotta understand this, everybody. Life, it, what you make it. That's a pretty bad, you know, poor decision. Uh, and, and, and never don't give up. Never don't give up. Run that race with perseverance. Never don't give up. Listen to me, babby girl. I know you're here. You're in the third row. Come on now. Listen to me, babby, babby girl. First of all, babby girl, you know, I hope your hair is up in a, in a, in a bun so that can cover, cover that up, babby girl. But listen, you got you to gotta be live, babby girl. Don't stop Beliving, hang on to that filing. Don't let the past make your decisions. 
for today. I don't know about you, but I've made some pretty poor decisions in my life, and maybe you have too. But really, what I want to do on a Sunday morning just like this, I want to take this moment and make sure that all of us, we learn truth from God's Word, we learn truth from, from biblical characters in the Bible, and many of us, we can live with less regret. I don't want you to, I want you to have no regret in your life. Speaking of no regret, uh, you're watching this on video for a couple of different reasons. Uh, number one, you're watching this because this is my 17th anniversary with Janet and I. We've been married 17 years and we are in Dallas. And a few months ago, I made a bad decision by saying to Janet, hey, for our anniversary, why don't we sign up for what is called a Spartan race? It's like a five-mile race with all these obstacle courses and burpees and, you know, having to crawl under electric fence. And, and yeah, yeah, I think probably today not only am I talking to you on video, but I'm probably simultaneously living with some regret right now. I'm living with a little bit of regret. Uh, but, you know, secondly, the other reason we're doing this is because we're gearing up. We are going to have a virtual teaching environment in Nacogdoches. And uh, we had a phenomenal uh Interest social last Sunday after church. We had 60 plus people show up. We're going to have another one next month. We'll be talking to you about that uh, in the future. But we just believe that technology can be leveraged uh, for ministry. And we're going to see some cool things happen through virtual teaching environment in Nacogdoches. So anyway, I don't want you to live with regret. It's why we're going to be talking about the character today. Take your notes and I want you to write this down. Many times those who mess up the worst can teach us the most. You know, why go through the pain yourself? Why, why do you feel the need to experience the pain on your own? There is so much pain that's been experienced by other people that you can learn from them. And you look and say, ooh, that was painful. I'm going to learn from them except instead of going through the same pain. And when I think of this statement, those who mess up the worst can teach us the most. I think of this character in the Old Testament, Jonah, a real prophet. He, he, he uh, was a part of God's uh, voice to a people. He was a, a trumpet piece, a mouthpiece for God's people, but yet he made some critical errors, some very bad decisions, some bad choices. And what can we learn from Jonah's choices? That's, where we're, that's what we're going to unpack today. But here's one other thing I want everybody to grab before you leave today. This is like a critical, a critical reality in all these bad choices. Because I know in a room this size with a mountain people that's in there this morning, you wonder if you can really get past that choice. You're wondering, God, uh, God, will he still use me? Will he still allow me to get past this hurdle? And I want you to write this, I want you to write this down. God is always looking to give you a second chance. Before he plays wipeout, he's looking for a way out. And all throughout scripture, he has given chance after chance after chance. When, 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 when we, we would do well, he was for us. When, we, went, when we, went, we would do bad, he was still cheering us on. And since the Garden of Eden to 2017, God is a God of second chances. And we see this all through the life of Jonah. And I want you to remember, it is not, you are not too far gone 
for God to still intervene in your life. But let's take a look at Jonah. It's in the Old Testament there. I'm going to read it from the screen here. You can follow along. In Jonah chapter 1, the first five verses, let me read it to you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. So, so Jonah's somewhere. He's on his donkey. He's in his study. He's writing. Uh, he's been preaching the word. He's been preaching to people uh, the, the, the voice of the Lord. He knows the voice because the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. The voice of God comes to Jonah, and he recognizes it, and here's what what the voice says, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh were, the, were like the arch enemies of the Israelites, uh, the, of God's chosen people. The, the Ninevites were ruthless. They were like, you know, uh, drooling Vikings that just wanted to rape and pillage and plunder and, and take over. And there was some very serious tension between the Ninevites and the Jewish people. And Jonah felt that tension as uh, part of the, the Israelite nation. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. An entire book of the Bible committed to Jonah. He wrote the book. He had the boldness to actually write all this out. And yet he ran away. He goes roadrunner basically on God. Beep, beep, and he heads the complete other direction to Tarshish. Now Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, which what we know today, you've heard us a lot in the news, northern Iraq. And that area actually would have been uh, the common day city of Mosul. And Tarshish was the complete opposite direction. So uh, Nineveh was northeast. Jonah takes a boat and goes southwest. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. So here he is on the, on the boat and the Lord is following him and he puts a great wind on the sea and it's such a violent storm arose that the ship is threatened to break up. Jonah thought he could run from God. You cannot run from God. You cannot outrun God. You can't, you can't get past it. And the word of the Lord had come to him and he's trying to go the other direction. All the sailors on the ship they were afraid. They were flipping out. They were crying out to it, their own gods. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. <laughs> Here's what's hilarious. These guys are going, what are we going to do? There she blows. I mean, the, the water's coming over the side of the boat. And, they, they are, and here, here's where Jonah is. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? Don't you know people in your life? They make bad decisions and they run away from God and you're torn up about it and you're struggling with it. Maybe it's a son, a daughter, a friend, a spouse and they're just away from God and you just cannot, you, you're just crying out and you're doing whatever it takes and it's like they're just in a deep sleep. They're naive, they're, they're blind to it. In this moment, Jonah didn't realize what was going on. And I wanna stop here and I wanna, I wanna address a few things. Number one, write it down in your notes. Number one, every decision we make costs something. You say yes to this, you have to say no to that. There is only 168 hours in the week. Every decision you make costs you something. It costs you the other decision you could have made. Every indecision can cost you something. And we see that Jonah 
his decision to run away from the voice of the Lord is getting ready to cost him something. But it doesn't just stop there. In fact, last week I talked about the reality that you don't sin in a vacuum that the decisions you can make can affect other people's journey down Temptation Avenue, their journey in, in, in life. You, you, you affect other people by the choices of the decisions and the life that you live. So number two, write it down. Every wrong decision we make could cost someone else something. That's my life. I'll live it. Let me live my life with no regret. <laughs> well... You actually can live with no regret, but you're going to affect somebody else by making the wrong decisions. And notice in that scripture, we see that the sailors, they're throwing over their luggage. They're throwing over big old, you know, barrels of wine. They're just, they're just, they, they are emptying the ship. It costs them because of the decision that Jonah made. How many things were lost at sea that day because of Jonah's poor decision, bad choice to run away from God. Here's a question I want you to ask today. I want you really, I want you to drill deeper on this one. Am I making choices that drive me closer to God or further from God? And what I say when I wake up in the morning, how I react to my kids, how you react to your spouse, how you talk at the office, well, just, you just better not get, you just better not get in front of the Brenda train because when the Brenda train's coming through, you better watch out, get off the tracks. Okay, Brenda, easy. <laughs> is Brenda driving, is Brenda getting closer or further from God by her actions? By that business decision, by the way you respond to criticism, are your choices driving you closer to God or further from God? Let me stop right there and just say consistency in church. It's summertime. It's summertime. And there's all kinds of, you know, all kinds of cool stuff to do in the summer. All kinds of weekends to take. Man, enjoy your family. Don't neglect your family. But I also challenge you to follow the scripture. Don't neglect the gathering together. In the house of God, the gathering together with other believers. That's so critical. And I want to promise you, the choices we make to just skip church, just to kind of, ah, you know, if we make it, we make it, whatever. Is that choice going to bring you further from God, take you further from God or closer to God? It's stuff to think about. So, so we, we all face bad choices. I've made some bad choices. You've made some bad choices. How do we recover? Let's, let's talk about recovering from some bad choices. So we see Jonah, he, he's, he's, he is uh, in a deep sleep and everybody's flipping out and he's got to then uh, come to and he wakes up and he finds himself in the middle of this crazy like mutiny going on where they're trying to figure out what is the cause of this crazy storm. And we pick back up the, 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 the story and we find out that Jonah, number one, here's what he does. Write it down. Take responsibility for your bad choice. It's what Jonah does. It's what we can do. Anytime you face a bad choice and you know you've done it, don't try and hide it. Don't try to point the fingers. Do not point, don't do the blame game. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Blame simply affixes the problem without fixing the problem. Take responsibility for your bad choice. Look, look what Jonah does. Here, here's, here's the quote from Jonah. Pick me up and throw me into the sea. <laughs> I don't know about you, but like, that's tough. He's taking responsibility. 
And here's what he says. Throw me into the sea. He knows this is God. He's like, oh man, he found me. I thought I'd be able to escape him going to Tarshish. That guy, he's stirring up the sea on me. He goes, pick me up and throw me in the sea and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Do you know what you don't see in there? You know what you don't see? A bunch of excuses. Well, you know, you can't, you, you, you'd be me too. You'd be running, you'd be running too. If, you know, you had to go to the Nineveh and talk to the Ninevites, you know how bad those guys are, right? I mean, you know, right, Joe, aren't, isn't it bad in Nineveh? He doesn't make any kind of excuses. Can I challenge you with something when you apologize to somebody over a bad choice? Don't ruin a good apology with excuses. Just apologize. Just take responsibility. Take responsibility. Own it. That's the first step in recovering from a bad choice. Proverbs 28, 13 in the Living Bible says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. Never. You just, you just, you're, you're going to rehearse and regurgitate these excuses. But look what it also says. But if he confesses and forsakes them, these mistakes... He gets another chance. Wow, what, what a great scripture for us. Making excuses, you're gonna be in a vicious cycle. Not taking ownership of your mistakes, you're gonna be in a vicious cycle. But when you begin to take ownership and you confess and you forsake them, you can get another chance. And that's what Jonah does. Jonah, uh, Jonah is thrown overboard and the sea is calmed. And I can just see, I can just see Jonah here, uh, you know, floating in uh, the sea as the, it all calms down. The moment he, he goes over, it's just like, whew, the Bible says it calmed. And there he is treading water and the boat is floating away in the distance and he's surrounded by, you know, suitcases and bunk beds floating and a mattress and some, so, you know, some barrels full of whatever. And, and, and he's, he's probably thinking to himself, you know, it just could not get, it probably just couldn't get any worse, you know. And then, <laughs> and then the dude is swallowed by a fish. You know, worse gets to the worst. When, when you think you've hit rock bottom, there's always a fish that's going to come and swallow you up. And that's exactly what happens uh, to Jonah. Now, now look at what happens. Jonah is swallowed by a fish. God stirs the water, brings this huge fish. Notice that I'm saying fish and not whale because the Bible doesn't say a whale. Although there are whales that are large enough and it's been scientifically proven that a man could be swallowed and survive for three days by a huge fish like some of the whales that exist today. Uh, even Jesus himself in Matthew says, just as Jonah was in the whale for three days, so the son of man will be uh, buried into the earth for three days and will rise again. And so Jesus, even refers to this story, it can sound like a, like a Veggie Tales kind of thing, right? In fact, it sounds like a Disney show, but, but it's, uh, it's in the word of God. We take it as truth and scientifically it's been proven that you, this can happen with the right circumstances. But let's talk about consequences. Here Jonah is swallowed by a fish. Things get pretty quiet and he's got a little bit of time in a tiny little space to think about stuff. Consequences can make you bitter or better. And when he's in the middle of the belly of this fish, did Jonah get bitter or did he get better? In fact, Jonah begins to cry out to God. He realizes what he had done. He's this beautiful prayer. I encourage you this week, read this short little book of Jonah and read the prayer that he prays to God. They'll make you bitter or better. 
You know, there's a little anonymous quote that was sent to me this week, and it was like, what you live with, you learn. Then what you learn, you practice. What you practice, you become. And what you become has consequences. And so how you live, you learn, you learn, you practice, you practice, you become that, and whatever you become has consequences, good, bad, or ugly. Your consequences might actually be your salvation. So many people don't like dealing with the consequences, so they keep sin hidden, or they, they don't admit some situations. And, 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 and I'm telling you, consequences sometimes might actually be your salvation. I don't get a kick out of disciplining my kids and giving them a bunch of consequences, but if I don't ever discipline them and give them a consequence for their action, I, I might just not teach them the right tools for living. And so when they, when they lie to me or they steal a cookie and I said, don't, don't take any more cookies, I give them consequences, not because cookies are so valuable, but because I don't want my son stealing a car when he's 17. And so I give him consequences now that hopefully will become a salvation piece for better decisions that he's making in the future. Your consequences actually could be your salvation. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. Nobody would equate being swallowed by a huge fish in the middle of the ocean as a saving thing. But yet it was that consequence of running from God. God stirs the water. He puts him in a place where he has time to consider and reflect and he actually guides, guides that fish through sonar to exactly where he needs to go. What looks like God's judgment might actually be God's mercy. Maybe you're here today and there has been consequences put on you for some past regrets and mistakes. You can get bitter or you can get better. And I'm challenging you today don't let the temporary consequences or even the long-term consequences, don't let them hinder you from finding the mercy and grace and salvation that God stirs in us through consequences. Number two, Jonah not only takes responsibility, but in the belly of that fish, he repents. And he says, whatever you wanna do, God, repent and turn away from the bad choice you made. What I have vowed, I will make good in Jonah 2.9. So he finally realizes after his plight that he's going to make good on his promise. Acts 3.19 says it like this, repent, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. I know that many times when we don't take responsibility for our actions and we deal just with the nastiness and the consequences or we're stuck in what is the proverbial belly of some fish because of a bad decision we've made, there's not a lot of refreshing in that. That's a stinky place to be. That's a yucky place to be. That's a place that nobody wants to live long term. But the scripture is, pretty, the scripture is clear. So that your sins may be wiped out, repent and turn, 
your sins are wiped out. They're not just kind of barely covered. They're not just erased a little bit and you can still see the residue. They're completely blotted out, wiped out, and times of refreshing. It's just refreshing. I don't know. I wouldn't equate being barfed up by a fish on the seashore as refreshing, but I promise you, if you were in the belly of a fish for three days and you all you could smell was tuna and intestinal fluid, I promise you, that being barfed up on the seashore is a pretty refreshing moment. And it came from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And this is why we're talking about this second chance. It's from every bad choice we've made. God had spoken to Jonah. Jonah turned. Jonah had consequences. He could have gotten bitter, but he got better. He wasn't perfect. He still had issues all through the book of Jonah. But then God came to him a second time. He is with you. He is for you. He is not mad at you. He doesn't want to turn his back on you. That's not his plan. You get to choose whether you will spend eternity with him but he won't force that on you. You don't have to spend eternity in heaven with him. You can choose for yourself a different path, but God came to Jonah a second time and he's ready to come to you a second time and a seventh time and a twelfth time until you're done, until your last breath. God is a God of plan B for your life. Plan C, plan D, and he can take plan L and make it plan A again. He's a God of the second chance. Number three, we take responsibility. We repent and then we embrace God's grace. See, some of you have taken responsibility and repented, but then you deal with this baggage and regret and guilt and shame and insecurities and, and feelings of inferiority. Like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. And I don't even want to go into church. I've had conversations with people that <clears throat> they've, had, they've had something go wrong in their life in their family, in their marriage. And one of the first things they do is they stop coming to church. Like, what? But maybe afraid of what people would think or what, like this place is full of people that have got to embrace God's grace. Are you hearing me this morning? You've got to embrace God's grace and stop living, regretting the past. No regrets, everybody. No regrets. Look what the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 4. Let us then with, with what? Say it out loud. Let us then with what? Confidence. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With confidence, you can go to God. He's got enough grace in supply. It is a huge demand for his grace. And the supply is greater than the demand, everyone. You can be confident in that. And so when you embrace God's grace, here's how you embrace it. Number one, I got to refuse to let bad choices define me. So many people are defined by their choices. Now you are the sum total of all the choices you make. Your character, your convictions, your conduct, it all comes down to the little choices, which are actually big choices in disguise. Because if you can't get the, the little choices down, you won't get the big choices down. If you don't get the little choices right, you won't have the fortitude and the strength and the integrity and the character to make big choices and big decisions when those times come. It's all a snowball effect into the big decisions. And I can't, I got to refuse to the choices in my past to define my future. Okay. It ended. Okay. I messed it up. Okay. I was struggling, but you cannot let that define who you're going to be in Jesus eyes. Next, I refuse to let bad choices disqualify me. 
man, the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. And you cannot let what the stuff you did in the past disqualify you from what God wants to do through you in the future. The will of God, Warren Wearsby, great commentator, great, great theologian, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God can't keep you and the power of God can't use you. To be honest with you, if there were a record of all the stuff that I've done, sins, mistakes, the choices, the words that have come out of my mouth. Boy, if we just, if we just laid a scroll out, it, it, it would hit the back of the parking lot with stupid stuff that I've done. And if you scrolled that on, on the big screen right here in the middle of the stage, it would definitely disqualify me from speaking into a lot of people's lives. But, but just, like, just like you have to, I have to embrace God's grace. And you have to embrace God's grace. And no, none of us are perfect, but his strength is perfect. You know, this whole statement reminds me of a story I saw just the other day about a gentleman, a young man, who went out with some buddies and some friends, and they were at a local restaurant. They were drinking, and they had too much to drink. And this young man named Eric made an even worse decision, and he began to drive home and when he drove home he was in a huge wreck involving other people and he had to deal with some major consequences for his bad choice. I want you to take a look at this video. They said, you don't want to be responsible for this. And I said, responsible for what? And that's when he looked at me and he said, there's two girls that are dead in that car over there. I was a 24-year-old kid facing a minimum of 20 years, and I was scared. Here I was in this very dark world, and my mom drops the Bible off, and I'm thinking to myself, it's probably too late for me. And that's when another inmate comes over, and he starts talking to me. He said, do you believe in, in God? And I said, well, you know, I believe in God, but I don't really think he wants to have a relationship with me right now. And he said, well, that's where you're wrong. The chaplain came by. We went down to a holding cell, and I gave my life to Christ. On October 3rd, I was brought back to court for sentencing. Hearing each person come up and talk and address the judge and me, it was heart-wrenching. And then Renee, Megan's mom, had the ability to look over to me and say, I forgive you. Here was this mother who lost her daughter looking at the guy who took that from her and saying that I forgive you. I was so young in Christ at that point that there was still some doubt. Are you sure, God, that you can still accept me? Are you sure that I can be forgiven? And then she spoke it. I just, I fell apart. <laughs> I'm really sorry to the families for what I've done. I've caused so much pain. There's nothing I can do. I've asked God to help me. And he has, but that's not going to bring Megan and Lisa back. I wish I could. I would give my life. I would honestly give my life. 
in August of 2006, we come into this courtroom. It was a very brief hearing. It's called a beggar's motion. No law is discussed. You simply beg for mercy. These families had come to a motion on my behalf. You would expect my family to do that, but then the families, Megan and Lisa's parents and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, it was like, holy cow, they're supporting that. Even if the judge says no, the blessing's already been given. And the judge came back. He said, on recess, I read something, and it was in Micah 6.8. O man, what does the Lord require of thee? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. He said, I have never in my life seen anything like this. Mr. Smallridge, these families have come here to try to give you a second chance at life. So I'm gonna run these sentences concurrent. Without receiving forgiveness, you can't move forward. There is no hope. If we don't forgive self, or receive forgiveness from the things we've done in our past, we have to still accept it from Christ and to know that as long as we turn away from those actions and as long as we walk the walk that is approved in God's eyes, that we are truly forgiven. What a powerful story. And Megan and Eric, Megan's mom and Eric, now travel all across the country um, and do high school assemblies and middle school assemblies and they just talk about the reality of forgiveness and the dangers of, of drinking and driving. And God, what, what, what looked like consequences could have made Eric bitter, bitter at life, bitter at, at, at having to deal with these consequences, but actually he took responsibility, he repented, he's had to embrace God's grace, and now God is using his story to do a great work in other people's lives. Wow, and God wants to do the same with me, and he wants to do the same with you. And so to wrap up today, I wanna to talk about safeguarding against making bad decisions. We've talked about the reality of bad decisions, we talked about recovering from them, and now let's take a preemptive strike, and let's just, let's just safeguard from making some stupid decisions. Okay, like put a guardrail on the deal. Nobody ought to be living right on the edge. Of, uh, there's got to be some space between the edge. We need some guardrails in our life. And here's how to safeguard against some bad decisions. Number one, I will make, this is a declaration you and I have to make. I will make the word of God my compass for every decision I make. It, it, the, the Bible is clear in Psalm 119. The word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. It illuminates the right path. It illuminates your feet. Every decision you make, every footstep you take, the, the word of God is illuminating. And I need, I'm asking you, this summer, dive into the word of God like you've never dived in before. Get a part of the word of God. Swallow the word. Eat the word. Just, just consume the bread of life so that it can be part of you. But here, let me give you a warning. Let me, let me give you a warning. Don't randomly study the word of God. Don't just kind of, you know, just open it up and just point to a, to a scripture. That, that's not going to give you that 
compass. That, that, that's just silliness. That, that's superstition. Have a plan. You know, it's kind of, it, it reminds me of the guy uh, that, that was going through a really tough time in his life, and, and he didn't know what to do. He wasn't, wasn't really a Christian, but he, he remembered that his grandma had a Bible. He pulled it out, of, you know, blew off, blew off the dust off of it, and, and, and he, he just opened it up, and he, and he came to Matthew 20. He just, he just opened it up and put a finger on a scripture, and it was Matthew 27, 5, and when he opened his eyes where he opened the Bible and just put his hand on the finger, uh, the finger on the, it said Judas hanged himself and he's looking for direction in his life. He's like, what? And so he shut the Bible. He said, no, 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 that, that can't be right. And he says, okay, God, I need, I need, I need really good direction. You, what's next? And so he opened it up and he went to Luke 10 37. And when he opened his eyes and he read the scripture, it said, Jesus said, go and do the same. He's like, oh, that, that can't be right. That can't be. So he shut it and he, and he opened again to John 13, 27. And, and he read what you are about to do, do it quickly. Okay. That's not what you do when you go random and just boop, find out whatever scripture to read. That would be super, that would be living with regrets if you do that, okay? Don't try to get through the Bible, all right? It's not about reading the Bible all in one setting or uh, there's a lot of people that read through it in a year. That's, that's huge. That's a great goal and you, and, and you should have a goal like that. But if your goal is just to get through it, the Bible really won't get through you. If it's just to get through it, let the Bible get through you. That's studying the word, using it as a compass. Number two, I'll ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. There's so much that is available to you and to me, but you have to ask for it. It's a gift, but put your hand out and ask for wisdom. Jesus himself says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he, the Holy Spirit, will guide you into all truth. In order to be guided, you got to be close enough to be guided. No one guides you a mile down the road. And if you're here today and you're not close with Jesus, you're not, you're not living in lockstep with him, following his footsteps, I want to challenge you. It's going to be really hard to be guided into wisdom if you're not being close to him. And every Sunday and time in the word and knowing him and listening to worship music and, and, and giving yourself to his convictions and character and conduct, you get closer and he guides you. Number three, I'll seek godly counsel. I know I have, I have friends in my life. You've had friends in your life. They get with the wrong crowd. They start making bad choices, bad decisions. But godly counsel is huge. That's why groups, we, we have groups happening uh, all across uh, uh, Lufkin and Angelina. The summer groups, it's a shortened experience, only like six weeks long. But there are several groups to choose from. You can go to the kiosk outside. And there are people that you can get with that will get godly counsel. Look what the Bible says. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffer harm. Grow wise. I think if Jonah were be able to step onto the platform today, I'd probably say, man, Jonah, I'd ask him, why did you put all that in the book? Like you could have just like not written it. You could have just written about how God showed up and you were there. But Jonah on the stage of human history chooses to show us his weakest points. And I think Jonah would say to us, because I want you to make good decisions I want you to learn from my mistake. I want to teach you well on the junk that I chose so that you can learn that it's not, it's not right to run from God.
And I think Jonah would also say, God is always looking to give you a second chance. So you've got a regret. You got some pain. You have a decision that you wish I wouldn't have said that, wish I wouldn't have texted that, wish I wouldn't have read that, wish I wouldn't have watched that, wish I wouldn't have spoke that, wish I wouldn't have ended that, wish I wouldn't have started that, wish I wouldn't have smoked that, wish I wouldn't have been with that person or been at that place. God is quick to forgive. He's a God of second chance. Run with the giants. Run with Jonah. Don't follow in his footsteps, but learn from his missteps. Let's pray. Would you just close your eyes right where you are all across the congregation? Bow your heads. This is a very serious moment. I'm asking one of our pastors to join me on the platform, and I, but, but I want you to listen to my voice. If you're here today and you've been living with bad decisions like clouds over your life, Jesus is not mad at you. He loves you. And he wants to give you this moment to make things right. If you're here today and you're living with regrets, you've got some pain, you've made some bad choices, and you're asking for God's grace that is so quickly you can run with confidence towards it. If you need the grace of God today, would you just shoot a hand straight up in the air so our pastor can see it? Just shoot it straight up in the air. Yeah, yeah. But by the grace of God, I would be living disqualified letting the, my past define me, but God gives second chances. Let me pray over you. Father, for those that have raised a hand, living with regret, I pray that they would hand it all over to you. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. And God, we ask for freedom from the past, freedom from the regrets, freedom from the shame and the guilt that comes with making some critical errors and bad decisions. We thank you, Lord, for second chances today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you realize part of of my story is I've been running from God. You're kind of like Jonah in that you've heard from God, but you've run the other way. And you realize that today and that you fix that choice. You cannot fix the other choices in your life until you fix the right choice of following Jesus and giving, giving your life to him to be the center of your life, the savior of your life. You cannot save yourself. And if you're here with every head bowed and every eyes closed and you need Jesus to be the savior and the center of your life, right now, would you just lift a hand up so we can pray for you today? Yeah, across the room, just lift a hand up. And in your own words, you would say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I can't fix my own mistakes. I can't fix my own sin, but you wash all my sin away and you give me a fresh start. I surrender to you as the Lord of my life and the Savior of my life. I make you king over my decisions. I step off the throne of my life, a self-centered life, and I give you control of my decisions. May you guide my character, conduct, and convictions. Thank you for not being mad at me, Jesus, but for loving me so much. You gave me this moment to make things right with you. I pray that we would be men and women that make strong decisions, guided by the compass of your word, guided through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the counsel of godly men and women, so that we can run with the giants too. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.